0: Hi again, listener. Thanks for listening to China Manufacturing Decoded. Here from Sophie, Adrian here, and Renault's with me as well. Hi, Renault.
1: Hey, hi everybody. Yeah, how's it going?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. And quite an interesting episode this week because we've had a lot of news in the past week. And I mean, the week beginning the seventeenth of October, uh, twenty twenty-two. It was the uh, Chinese Communist Party. National Congress, I want to say, conference. And that's the once every five year conference that they have where they, um, well, they do what is called a work report, right? And then they sort of, uh, Xi Jinping stands up for, I don't know, several hours and goes through a bunch of stuff that's been going on and also making plans for the future. And that's why today's topic, which is from China plus one to zero China, came about. So if you've been reading the news recently, you might be a little bit worried if you're reading Western media about, well, what's happening in China? If I'm manufacturing in China, is my supply chain going to be stable? Is there going to be war? You know, should I be worried about this? And that's what we're going to pick through today. And you've selected a bunch of good Media stories that we can sort of dip into, and mm-hmm. I suppose explaining well, what is zero China? I think everybody's heard the words China plus one, but zero China <laughs> is is a big buzz buzzword now. Uh, so you know, what is that as well? So yeah, let's get it started with looking at zero China, I guess, Renault. So well, well, how how's this come about?
1: Zero China is something I just read. I don't know, a couple of days ago. Mm. in um a blog post uh, written by Dan Harris um who uh, who maintains a um uh, a blog um, about China business and has tended to uh be fairly critical of Beijing's policies uh for for a few years now mm. um he he linked to uh, an interesting Nikkei Asia article so Nikkei Asia is another one of uh, one of these media outlets that's also fairly critical of uh, what Beijing is doing, uh, and mm. uh, they mentioned uh, the um, sort of a new target uh, for, for, from several uh, Japanese companies, and they want to be able to make their products for certain markets with no component coming from China and no assembly in China. You know, basically no involvement of China. So even mm. if China get completely cut from the world tomorrow, they would not feel any impact on the production of these uh, these products. Okay, so that's the idea. But maybe mm. let's go back a little bit in history, right? And and see the different kinds of, of of targets or maybe you know sourcing strategies. Maybe one might cut it to see how this compares, right? And um, wh- how many years? It's nearly twenty years ago now. After SARS, so SARS was mm. sort of first uh, warning signs of COVID, right? And mm. it was, I forgot, 2004, uh, roughly, or 2003, maybe or 2002. Yeah, it was a while ago. It, mm. it was nearly 20 years ago. It was not really a pandemic, but it was an epidemic in, in South China, starting, I believe, in Shundu, and then, like Hong Kong was really badly hit. So a lot of people talked about it and South China was really badly hit and a lot of people get scared. You know, what was going on in China? You know, this might happen again. And, uh, you know, the way Mm. they react maybe is not the best way. And so, um, you know, something wrong might happen with that country, right? And then based on that and other things, they started to think of, hey, China plus one, you know, don't have all your eggs in the same basket sort of mentality. And this was really driven by the Japanese firms for a while. Mm. And when it comes to Western companies, they were much more pragmatic about it. You know, sort of, if you're selling to China anyway, just make it in China. If you don't sell into China, well, just see if you have other good alternatives, but otherwise, who cares? Just having made in China, right? And that's how the garment companies get a lot of things made in, uh, in 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 India, in Bangladesh, in Vietnam, uh, in in Myanmar, uh, and 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 so on. Even though they were still and they are still buying a lot of fabrics, a lot of accessories in China, you know, and then the all of these materials are shipped to Vietnam or shipped to Bangladesh and so on. Well the cut and sew and and, and pack and inspection operations happen in that other country. So it's made in, say, made in India, right? While they still have some production of garments in China. So China is definitely not the quote unquote, the the cheapest needle. However, it is still making a lot of garments, okay? And a lot of different kinds of textile products and so on. Uh, If you want to to go fast to ramp production up very fast uh, with very aggressive suppliers that would not not say no and like find a way to to get it done you know uh, that's China if you want to make especially like complex products like jackets and and uh, wire bras and uh, you know relatively complex cut and shoe products it is it might be difficult to get out of China, especially in large quantity large quantity okay so that's why there's still a lot of apparel, a lot of garments made in china but when you look at uh productions of garments for for europe for the u.s you know china is less than 50 percent because you have a lot again as i said bangladesh vietnam india uh, myanmar cambodia and and so on and so forth a lot of other places even a little bit in east africa and And more and more in Eastern Europe and some in Central America and so on. Turkey as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Correct. Uh, There's a lot around Istanbul. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pakistan. Not sure why I forget this one. It's not that small. Mm. Anyway, so that's really, uh, actually, that's China plus many. (laughs) Right. I I, I get to that. But uh, China plus at least one. Okay. Now, when you look at hard goods, and specifically, uh, like um, our tools, you know, and, and relatively complex electronic products and so on. Mm-hmm. It's been very hard for companies to get out of China. Okay, So being very focused on China for manufacturing was not seen as a big strategic problem, not a big source of risk until maybe around 2015, 2016. Okay, now, mm-hmm. then the current CCP uh, secretary, Mr. C, came in power 2012, 2013, really. And at the beginning, what he did was quite uh, positive, actually, right? Uh, camping down on um, on corruption within the party. You know, there are certain things he's done that, that are quite uh, commendable. You know, um, yep. what, what he's done to... Um, to force highly polluting industries to, to close down and, you know, all kinds of really um, weird things that were going on in China. And like, like Dongguan was the sex capital of the world. It was just crazy. I mean, you mm-hmm. were living in Shenzhen at that time. You, you heard yes. of it so much, right. It was just crazy. Yeah. All the local officials were, um you know, were, were, were making money on the side from, from that trade. And, and the taxi drivers were making half of that, their money from 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 that from late uh, late night customers. It was just crazy. Mm. The hotels were all busy on it. I mean, good riddance, you know. So he closed all that stuff.
0: Well, and they they cleared it out overnight, almost like a whole right. city.
1: Right, right, right. And then you had some um, some apps already in China. I forget when that was twenty thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I forgot, but the, it was like a migration of. More than a hundred thousand people out of Dongguan within the next within the next two days. It was crazy. Um, yeah. they, they could already track all that stuff. So, um, so some of what he's done, wow, you know, okay, that's what a government is supposed to do, right? Like China mm. is starting to have a real government. There's a there's a tough guy doing the the clean up, which was badly needed. Um, and then you know some other aspects of his policies started to. Um, to come up, and what it was doing in the South China Sea, and like you know all the ways that he was pissing off all the countries around him and so on, hmm. like, and people started to feel okay that there's risk here, right, so that's why I say roughly twenty fifteen so it was not it was not a major source of issue. People were not looking at their supply chain, thinking, Oh, what if this or that happens? you know then hmm. then you had the real China plus one and China plus many sort of impetus from there, from 2015, 2016. Uh, it started slow and then it's been accelerating mm-hmm. for big companies, right? Looking at big companies. Uh, for SMEs, it's sort of a different story, but let's say the the accelerating factors, there's basically four um, um, accelerating factors. One is the the, the rhetorics of, politicians and i would say on all sides right so you have Mm -hmm. congressmen and the senators in the u.s um, and all kinds of other you know outspoken people not to mention in the white house You, you you have uh people in some other countries like the uk and australia and so on and and of course people in beijing uh doing things and saying things and you know in the newspapers writing certain things to sort of get their population to uh to think, to, to see things in a certain angle, right? All of that to observers, you know, and there's a lot of good journalists actually uh, that picked up on these things. Uh, okay, people started to see, okay, there, there's a risk here. Like there's a divergence, you know? This is no longer the Deng Xiaoping um, uh, and, and, and and all the way to, to Hu Jintao kind of um, policy. This is, you know, they're going in a, in a different direction. Right, mm. this is more like Mao Zedong now, so um people started to think, well, 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 uh, what might happen this second accelerating factor obviously has been Trump with his historical tweets and and his policies you know including his tariffs, and he's mm. been pushing you know wishing for the u s a and the China economies to decouple, which is a pretty tall order, but you know, boom, once you have tariffs. And once you sell on the U.S. market, one of these uh, these product categories that are hit by tariffs, ouch. Okay, now you have an incentive to start start looking uh, in other countries. Obviously, and the Biden administration and certainly the next administration, they're not taking the ta- these tariffs away. The only mm-hmm. thing they might do is actually uh, raise them, right, and enlarge the, the the scope of the tariffs. We'll see. The third one has been COVID. The propaganda around COVID has pissed off some people, You know, basically Beijing saying, look, this is really the proof that we're superior, we are a much better government. Look at the others, it's ridiculous. They don't know, they, they can't even manage their people. It's terrible. But also the mm. lockdowns and mostly the lockdowns, that has freaked a lot of people. I mean, obviously, right? What happens when they just close your factory down or they close the factories of some mm. of your critical component suppliers? ouch, right, yeah. then you're no longer able to ensure continuity of supply.
0: You make a good point there, because I think the COVID lockdowns were kind of like a taster of, well, what happens if we don't have access to our Chinese supply chain for whatever reason? And I think that spooked a lot of importers, because maybe they did lose their continuity of supply and they're thinking, well, okay, COVID, that was maybe a couple of months. But what happens if there's a war or what happens if there's a complete breakdown in relations between my country and China, you know, which is perhaps most acute in the States at at this present point, then do I have access to my supply chain? permanently or am i going to lose it for six months or two years or forever this time and so yeah i think i think what happened with covid was a really a herald of what might happen in the future and 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 the increasing risks
1: oh absolutely absolutely yeah At chinese new year 2020 when people realized oh wait a minute our production is not restarting there and we don't know mm-hmm. how long this is going to take uh, you get a lot of people thinking you know <laughs> a lot of uh, board members in big companies started to say, well, 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 China risk, you know, Yeah. financial analysts also look at that and say, well, China risk here. And then mm. companies trade with um, at, at, at lower multiples, uh, you know, in, in their valuations. So that's the problem, right? So COVID lockdowns have really opened people's eyes on that risk. And then number four, again, is politics, you know, around china's borders you know what happens what are they doing to uh some of their ethnic minorities in in the west uh what are they doing uh with that um renegade island uh in in, in front of Siamen? you know uh are they, are they gonna try to grab it you know it seems like uh the new administration really has a mandate to uh, to 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 grab it no matter what so this is scaring mm. people you know, especially with the, the comparison of uh, of of uh, you know Vladimir Putin mm. in place forever sort of uh, sending his army on a uh, little Russia you know
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that's that's the way they they, they call Ukraine
0: <laughs> if you look at the the war in Ukraine the impact on Russia has yeah. been Acute and we can, we can all talk about sanctions on Russia and all of the rest of it. That's not what this podcast is about, but the sanctions have had an effect. No, it's definitely, it's hurt the West as well because of, you know, lack of supply of energy, et cetera, et cetera. Albeit maybe that's, you know, well, in my opinion, very necessary, but if you consider China in the same way, the West's bond economically to China is mm. huge and mm. massively far-reaching in comparison to Russia. Russia was a source of energy. Like, we don't buy stuff from Russia. We don't manufacture stuff in Russia. You know, we don't have factories, you know, churning out iPhones, for example, in mm-hmm. Russia. It was it was a source of energy. But what about China? You know, if, if, if there was some sort of conflict and if there were sanctions similar to that which have been put on Russia, on China wow the impact it's just going to be huge in china and and in all of our yeah. countries as well
1: oh absolutely so companies that had a presence had something going on in russia were badly hit you know and this is mm. prompting people to think well our manufacturing is in china and if the same thing happens to china and they sort of cut off well, we're going to be in a, you know in a, in a in a big nightmare right mm. and well i mean ukraine was doing some manufacturing but pretty limited in comparison with you know what taiwan does. Yeah. I mean, taiwan has the most advanced semiconductors. Uh Taiwan does a lot of advanced electronic uh research and development and manufacturing. Now mm. you <laughs> you have that island in uh, in a war What's going to mm. happen? Are they going to keep churning components, right? So this is scaring a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, China risk. You know, the board members, the financial analysts, everybody's looking at that in uh, in in big companies, right? So again, if they sell a lot into China, it's a much more complicated uh, sort of approach. But if they don't sell anything in China, well. It's a matter of uh, just look for a way to to move some of the production quick, find a way Uh, if, you know, either we we find a local partner or we found local partners that act as contract manufacturers or we set up our own factory. I mean, let's do something, right? The strategy is not that complicated. Now, a lot of people are looking at Apple, right? Uh, Mm. I mean might be the uh it's, it's probably the most valuable the most successful manufacturing company it's a consumer goods company with a very high profile so journalists love to to look at what apple is doing plus apple um has made its vendor list uh its supplier list is public right on the website And there's a lot of things that are sort of public even though uh, when it comes to product development and so on, they are quite um, <laughs> secretive, right? But it, it's not that difficult to to look at what Apple's doing. So um, their supply chain, uh, and there's a good uh, article in The Economist, thanks for pointing me to it and showing me the the way to look at their graphs because mm-hmm. um, I, I couldn't get past the first few paragraphs otherwise. Um, <laughs> Currently, 100% of the MacBooks and 100% of the iPhone casings are made in China, for example, and mm. it's very close to 100% for Apple Watch, iPad, iPhone, right? And these ones they're all forecast to decrease. Mm. Uh, you know the proportion of manufacturing made in uh, that, that happens in um, in China. So for some of the uh, the, the high end products, there's a little bit of manufacturing. A little bit of assembly, I should say, in uh, in the USA, but it's very small. Now, they are going for Vietnam and they're going for India, mostly, mm. right? And it's already been achieved. Like, for example, the AirPods, it's very successful uh, earbuds. And and we're talking tens of billions of dollars of uh, of merchandise here. It's one mm. product, but with Apple, it's, it's sizable, right? A lot of it is made in Vietnam. And currently, Mm -hmm. it's about 50, 55% uh, made in China only, if I may say, right? So they've already gone uh, in that direction successfully. Now, the case of Apple is quite complicated, actually, because first they sell a lot in China. Okay. Now, that uh, Economist article also has a, a graph About the revenue from different places, and China is 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 about you know nearly twenty percent of revenue. Mm. And I would venture to say that uh, it's more of more than twenty percent of the profit. Probably, you know these 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 Chinese ladies who want the best iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 they want more memory and they want more everything. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of that in China, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, it's it's a sizable chunk of their profit right there. You know, it's a big market, so they can't really piss people off there.
0: Yeah, I think the prices of Apple products are actually more in China as well than than in other markets. I'm not saying a lot more, but but they're definitely more in the UK as well, by the way. (laughs) But if you compare them to like US prices, for example, uh, you're going to pay more. I mean, Hong Kong uh, is uh, notoriously quite a bit cheaper than than China. So you get all of the mainland people going across the borders to go buy new iPhones and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely making more profit.
1: Right. A little bit less, right? Because U.S. dollars mm-hmm. are strong. Hong Kong mm-hmm. dollars is back to the U.S. dollar, So, the yeah, you get fewer Hong Kong dollars now with R&B. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah you, it is slowly decreasing, yes. It, it's quite profitable, as you point out. Uh, price is mm-hmm. not low there, definitely. It is a luxury product. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was, I was making the point, basically, that Apple's situation is quite complicated uh, because... Um, they they can't afford to to be like H and M or Dolce Gabbana, you know, one of these brands <laughs> that that pisses people off in China, right? Because mm. then you have consumers really turning their back on it, uh, and they have plenty of alternatives. I mean, when you look at specs, mm. um, Huawei phones um, are sort of top of the line, right? Mm, They're uh, better. The, yeah, the Oppo and Vivo and so on. When you look at specs, it's just yeah. amazing. So. China is also home to their um, their biggest and probably m- most serious competitors in the long run. Not that Samsung is not a big competitor, but in China, you yeah you have Huawei mm. and you have Oppo and Vivo that are all aiming for um, you know selling more and more expensive phones. And uh, wow, yeah, they're, they're just formidable competitors.
0: And you can't discount that they've got government backing because the government for a long time in China, well, not a long time, but I mean, probably certainly since uh, Xi Jinping has been in power, has pushed this this sort of mantra of becoming self-reliant. So they really they really push, you know, we, we need to buy local. We need to support <laughs> our local businesses. And yeah, a lot of Chinese people who want to buy luxury products, of course, they're still going to go buy an iPhone and a, and a Louis Vuitton bag and whatever. But those are not the majority of Chinese people. The majority of Chinese people actually will be exposed to this sort of um, encouragement and they will go and buy local.
1: Yes, in China, people, people, many people do what sort of what they know they're supposed to do. Or they're told they're supposed to do, you know, more or less. Uh, and the Chinese government likes to point some companies. You know, once it was uh, Volkswagen, once it was maybe Tesla. Once, you know, they like to pick big foreign brands and say, "You guys are not respectful of Chinese consumers. <sighs> you need to do better." you know? Mm. Uh, and this really resonates with Chinese consumers. I mean, mm-hmm. for good reason. And it, it does have an effect on sales. So yeah, Apple cannot take a big stand like H&M saying, oh, we're not going to get codon from Western China. <laughs> now, Apple's not going to say something like that because, you know, just look at the way H&M gets uh, sort of slammed. So, yeah. um, so, okay. That's one complicating factor. Another complicating factor is that, their supply chain the, the apple supply chain okay when you look at assembly final assembly yes it's nearly 100% china for a lot of their products mm-hmm. but when you look at the value of the components a lot of that for example goes to korea you know the displays the batteries and you know the processors there's a lot of things uh, in, in korea but you you i mean you look at it and you you see you know malaysia japan usa germany blah 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 you know there's a lot of countries providing expensive components, and that's really where the money is going. Let's not uh, lose sight of, of that. China still only captures mm-hmm. a little bit of the value of an iPhone or a MacBook Pro. They, they don't capture that much money. And Apple is pretty good at squeezing all the costs of their um, of their suppliers. I mean, they make a lot of money, but uh, they're very uh, protective of their margins, <laughs> definitely. So... That, mm-hmm. Let's keep that in mind, right? Uh, they they like to have the Chinese manpower, all these people, you know, getting two hundred thousand people to work on a new model really quick, because we have to deliver thirty million this month. That's great; they love it, and they can really get that from any other place. For example, in um, in 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 South India, uh, there's a, a big Taiwanese contract manufacturer called Wistron. They got in trouble. I forget if it's in, in Chennai or in Bangalore. Anyway, in, in, in the very south of India. They uh, they tried to ramp things up too fast, you know, mm. sort of like in China. And then, well, it backfired because the Indian workers and the Indian government doesn't really like to see, you know, too much of a mess. Uh, the workers need to be placed in proper dorms and and um, have all the facilities that they're supposed to have and everything, Right. Uh, things don't move as fast there as in China. Uh, and um, yeah, when you have products that are designed to please the customer, you know, the end user uh, and designed to be manufactured at high quality, but not designed to be assembled in a very fast, easy way, you know, then you get, still have a lot of seconds of assembly per per device. Yeah. Right. And uh, and Yeah. With the volumes they make, they really need uh, assembly workers in the tens of thousands.
0: <laughs> so mm.
1: that, that's a big headache for them, right? That's a very uh, very special situation to be in.
0: But when we when we talk about companies like Apple, we're, everybody knows Apple. You know, everybody likes the iPhone or whatever. But how's that relevant to our listeners? I mean, if if our listeners are running an SME, for example, and they've got manufacturing in China they're thinking well okay that's fine Apple have got billions of dollars they can spend on setting up a new assembly center in India and you know we can maybe talk about well are they completely exiting the China supply chain maybe not because some things by necessity have to come from China which again this is very much affecting SMEs so if you're a smaller manufacturer then Hmm. Apple I guess it is kind of a benchmark for the way things are going, but at the moment, for most smaller businesses that's not actually a realistic move, right
1: correct, absolutely. so you have mega humongous companies like Apple,
0: okay, and they mm. have
1: to deal with geopolitics they have to deal with you know how can we get the flexibility of hiring a hundred thousand people in a week if the volumes are strong you know did <laughs> they mm they are in their their own world, right? Then you have a bunch of other relatively large companies and they have been moving away for various reasons. And there's there's a professor at Monash University in uh, in in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, called Neil O'Connor, who has done some research on that and is some um research assistant, you know, looks through a bunch of uh, annual reports and annual, you know, official announcements to the shareholders, and uh, newspaper articles and things like that. He he's really uh, done a, a great job on that. And by the way, I think we'd we'll have him as a um, a guest on the podcast um, in a few episodes. So mm. he shows that for relatively large um, companies. Yes, there has been a move away from China, but usually not completely leaving China, right? yeah either because they are setting in China, so I mean, why if you're making China to set in China, you don't want to suddenly move that over to uh to 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 Vietnam to set into China no, 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 of course mm-hmm. not. you want to keep at least some manufacturing there or because, hey, they have you know good facility, a lot of in past investment. Um, good result from their manufacturing, they're not going to shut that down. However, they may going to reduce that a bit and balance it with some, some other manufacturing capabilities somewhere else, right? And, mm. and that makes a ton of sense. Um, so then you have the smaller companies, as you mentioned, and if they make the, the kind of hard goods, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you make... Um, a, an electrical drill or uh, uh, you know, so, some kind of, of, of power tools and uh, well what are you going to do if you want to move let's say to Vietnam well you're going to, to Vietnam you're going to see the specialized manufacturers they're all full for this year and next year I mean <laughs> you know Ameri- American companies took all of their capacity right already Basically, it's very hard to find uh, extra capacity in the short term. Okay, so do you sort of wait in line and hope that they will reserve capacity for you in two years or something, mm. or do you try to um, to find a local partner, maybe start a new manufacturing facility, put some of your money in that, you know, or, or start your own manufacturing company, um, manufacturing facility from scratch. Again, yeah. it's not going to be ready in three months and you know to, to churn out products, so that's gonna take some time. Uh or what do you do? Right? You try maybe you look in your own country. Uh maybe you what are you going to do? Right? Mm-hmm. It it's if you are in certain industries, it's really it's really tough. And then there's a complicating factor that you might do assembly in another country, however. What about the main components? Well, you could source them from China. And maybe you have, you know, your plastic supplier that has your molds and, and you have this and this and this, you know, uh, you have the motor, you have the electronic components, PCB supplier and so on. You can beat their price uh, by finding new suppliers in Vietnam. So are you going to mm. try to be close to the border um, and and get everything by truck from China? Okay, well then, in that case, are you really protected from the China risk? What if they get locked down or, or excluded, you know, somehow, and like cl- closing down on themselves? You're not going to get production going, right? Yes. Yeah. And and then what happens if Vietnam has an issue? And now you you have the China risk plus the Vietnam risk. Mm-hmm. Now, if if your product is labeled made in Vietnam um, for all the good reasons, you really do a lot of substantial transformation there. Great. Um, You might be less of a target maybe for the U S customer and border protection agency, for example, but Mm. uh, again, you know, you are not um, you know, your, your, your China risk is not solved, (laughs) not really solved. Okay. So it's, it's not, it's not that simple. And then no. when people say, oh, I get out of China, I go to Vietnam. I, I say, well, wait a minute. Okay, what is the worst case scenario? You know, and is this going to affect the South China Sea? Mm-hmm. Obviously, South China Sea is going to be, you know, the, the new ring of fire. <laughs> it is, it's going to be really, um, I mean, if there is a hot war, it's gonna take place not too far away of, uh, from from the South China Sea or in the South China Sea. Right. Yeah. So, if your if your productions are in Vietnam, um, in 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 Malaysia, in the Philippines, how's that even really protecting you? Even Thailand, by mm. the way, is not in the South China Sea, but it's not that far away and it's pretty close to uh, to China. It's getting influenced by China a lot. Yeah, um, I'm not really sure how that would play out for them, right? So that's why we're growing our, our presence in India, mm. and uh, I'm, I'm you know, I feel pretty good about the fact that the highest peaks, you know, the highest mountains in the world are separating China from India. I mean, <laughs> there's not going to be a conventional war with an invasion or anything between these two, it's not going to happen, mm. right? Mm. Uh, so this is, um this is a great factor, right? Looking at geography, mm. so um, yeah, all of that was to sort of explain the the context. You know, China, just China, you know, versus China plus one, versus China plus many, mm. and that 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 brings us back to what you mentioned at the the start of the the episode. What yeah. about zero China? That sounds pretty aggressive, right? But the Japanese love these kind of targets you know hmm. there's a zero defect, zero paper, zero delay, zero blah 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 right. Uh, and now it's hmm. zero China.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I can imagine they would if you're listening and you're wondering well why what about Japan and China? Yeah, just look up the history. They're not big uh, fans of each other
1: right. Uh, Japan is a very close ally of the USA. In um, what they call the Indo Pacific, right? Basically, mm. all of the zone of um, influence of, of China. I mean, the main zone of influence of China, where the USA wants to uh, to contain China, basically. So, mm. there's regular nationalistic fervor, you know, sort of campaigns in China that target the Japanese. And from time to time, there's Japanese cars that get smashed, and then, you know, bad stuff that happens to Japanese. And then there's, of course, thousands probably tens of thousands of japanese employees working in the big japanese firms that have uh, operations in in uh, in china but they tend to live in a you know a specific compound of yeah. in a big in a big city is, you know in, in guangzhou yeah, in you, Shenzhen, in, uh, in shanghai kunshan I mean, you don't maybe. see them Only if you go to
0: specific areas where they've got like their own restaurants pop up and which actually you can get really good Japanese food and stuff, but like, yeah, you never see them just walking around normally.
1: Right, right, right. They're a bit scared, you know. They know they're sort of in um, unfriendly territory, let's say, right? It's pretty clear. It's very, very clear. Also, you don't see them drive their car because whenever there's a little accident or anything, if they're Japanese, they're always going to be, you know, wrong <laughs>
0: you way. can say that for most foreigners in china though there's an element of that i think oh, right. it's uh, so it's a it's a little bit difficult when you're a foreigner you need to sort of uh, tread carefully
1: uh true but if you're a foreigner if you if you can speak good chinese and you have a lot of mm-hmm. confidence in yourself you know you, you can get by with a yeah you know not too bad but mm. if they see you Japanese, like right away, you know that that's yeah. <laughs> they're wrong. Oh, so no. all of that to say, there's a, yeah a special relationship, let's say between uh, between China and Japan, and uh, mm. yeah, and and there's some places where it's more acute. I mean, think of Nanjing with you know, mm. they keep they have a museum, of course, about the Nanjing mm-hmm. Massacre, and and they keep talking about it and and so on. I mean, you know, it, yeah, it was pretty horrible, mm. obviously, right?
0: I've been actually, and oh, yeah. to be to be fair to the Chinese, it's an awful museum. It's 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 grim. Mm. It's mm. Uh, it's akin to again for listeners, if you were to visit Auschwitz, for example, yeah. in in it's in Poland, right? I think it's in Poland, and you see, you know, the what happened with the Holocaust, and and it's just yeah, it's horrendous, and it doesn't, it's mm. not a feel good trip, and it's very very similar in Nanjing, but at the end of the um, museum there is a lot of information and saying you know like we need to be friends in the future and we need to build a good relationship with Japan and you know we need to sort of move on from this that was what I took from it Mm -hmm. which I was surprised actually but I think it comes and goes doesn't it I think I think they use nationalism Mm -hmm. in China to benefit different things as and when it's needed or when when it's when it's convenient but yeah I mean with Japan, it's definitely it's definitely one of the softer targets, isn't it? But I, I think with the zero China thing, it was Japanese companies doing a test, right? They were testing, well, can we go zero China? How how realistic is it? Because when COVID happened, chi- Japanese companies and uh, like especially the automakers, and not only the Japanese, basically everywhere, it was just became a nightmare because there were no chips, right? And so people people were just never getting new cars. And so it was kind of a test. So I don't know if Zero China is is even realistic right now or ever.
1: Mm, right, right, right. Yeah. Looking back at that article from Nikkei Asia, they they actually mention a um a, yeah, the, okay, I'm quoting this past summer, mm-hmm. a top secret project was in full swing at Honda Motor, a massive mm-hmm. restructuring plan to explore building passenger cars and motorcycles using as few China-made parts as possible. So you can call it zero China. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's, um, you know, if it's that journalist who coined the term or what, mm. but, you know, it's sort of a target, but as few as possible doesn't mean zero, right? So Honda, again, like like um, like Apple is... Uh, is is selling a lot in China, and China is a big market for them, right? But thirty oh, yeah. percent of global sales, uh, according to Nikkei Asia. So, you have to be careful. That's why it's you know they say it's a top secret <laughs> restructuring plan.
0: Not anymore.
1: Uh, right, right. So, they say, okay, what about this contingency? What they call the Taiwan contingency? You know, uh, how to keep selling Honda products in other Asian countries, including. Uh, including in japan how to sell products uh you know especially in in, in australia in, in the us and so on right mm-hmm. um and they want to really decouple Now, this is really decoupling the supply chain right have one supply mm-hmm. chain for the chinese market and another supply chain with as many non-chinese parts as possible for the markets outside of china uh, and for this kind of project it's, it's always much easier to get that right for the next models that are still in development rather than uh, for the current models, of course. Um, so this mm-hmm. is probably a uh, a plan over the next five years or 10 years, right? Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. they, they, they did some calculations. There's, there's a professor, uh, Yasuyuki Todo, at Waseda University, and they said, well, if 80% of Japan's imports from China were disrupted for two months, which in the case of, you know, a war starting or something is really, you know, is what they can count on more or less, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Or or maybe even worse than that. They say it would uh, would impact Japan's GDP by 10%.
0: And that's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's like, Full-on COVID crisis with everybody staying at home. Maybe, maybe even worse. I think. Yeah. Impact. Yes.
0: I think Brexit affected the UKs by four percent. I think I could be completely wrong, though. So, so if you're an economist, if you're an economist, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, if yeah. you're an economist and and you're and you're listening and you're saying no, that's completely wrong. Fair enough. I'll hold my hands up. But I think I read somewhere, and I mean, even if you come to the UK now, the place is a mess. So ten uh, percent, I can't imagine.
1: Right, right, right. Uh, so let let let's see. Let's see if um, if we hear of this zero China mm. thing. I think mm. uh, it, it's so negative that companies will be very careful using it. Mm. That might be a problem. Uh, it might be used by analysts and politicians and and companies that no longer you know that or that, that don't rely on no longer rely on China. But it it sounds pretty offensive to a uh, you know to Chinese companies and Chinese people. Oh, these guys they want to do zero China. Well, you're going to have zero sales in China, that's for sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. So um, uh, mm. let's see, let's
0: see. Okay. I've right. one final question then, as we close out the episode. If SMEs who are producing maybe uh, electromechanical products in China at the moment and a lot or all of their supply chain is Chinese, so materials, components, etc. Let's say they're in the West, hmm. should they be panicking?
1: <laughs> I mean, China's leadership does not want war. No, you know, that, I don't think there's so. The, there's the plus and the minus. So, on the positive side, I don't think they want war, they want continued growth. They don't want big disruptions. They don't like unpleasant surprises. So I I would not bet that they would do something uh, very unanticipated, um, very brutal moves that mm. they know might trigger at least a Ukraine-like situation. I don't think yeah. they want that. And I, it's pretty clear they're not happy about what happens in Ukraine, by the way. So it's a good warning for them. Mm and also china is not exactly expansionist the whole concept of borders is kind of new to them you know in their their um <laughs> if you listen to them they have 5000 years of history but mm. uh, let, let's say let's just look at the the, the past 1000 years it used to be that they were in the middle and then they had some other places around that you know including korea including vietnam and so on uh, that that were strongly under their influence and recognize that they were the preeminent force in the area, right? Mm. And that's what they're accustomed to. That's what that's what's in their um, imaginary, right? In in their uh, that, that's the way they see the world, sort of. So there's going to be frictions with the countries around. Yes, they they don't like to be the the, the loser at the game of setting the borders. Uh, they, they'd rather be the, the winner of winning such and such territories and showing the population that they're resisting. You know, So there's definitely going to be frictions with the, the neighboring countries. Mm. And the South China Sea, yeah, they really want it to be their own sea. And so, I mean, th- this is not changing. But I don't see a major war coming. However, however, and I think it was Andrew Hubert's point on this podcast a few episodes ago, um you know, when you look at American politics, so what happens if if the Republicans under the Trump sort of mindset? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to call that. Is, um yeah, can't talk about mind with Trump, but anyway, um <laughs> his uh, his example, I don't know, his rhetoric. Uh let's say they win the, the next midterm elections and then they, they get the next president. they they might double down and, and triple down on China bashing and, and do mm. all kinds of things to piss China off and mm. and it's all about you know politicians doing stuff without really thinking in the long term about what, what happened. So yeah, yeah they 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 might get really tough on China. And China has this habit of responding, right? You do something, I retaliate. Like it's automatic. Yes. You yeah. can count on it, right? Yeah. So you, you can see escalation is is coming, right? So mm. you, you know, let's say you have one, two, three years to to hedge your bets and get something going on in another country to minimize your exposure, let's say to China. So this case, in this case, you have a plan B in case suddenly mm. you are cut off from your China supply chain. At least you can sort of keep the lights on, you know, keep operating yeah uh, that's uh, that uh, i think that's a very healthy approach to to running mm. a business
0: there you go so zero china at the moment maybe it's a it's a cool buzzword but maybe oh. it really still should be the china plus one or plus many that businesses can be pursuing at mm-hmm. this point
1: yeah that makes sense yes
0: okay and uh, th- just to close it out that's one of the reasons why we operate in India. And you, you were even in India this summer and you were <laughs> visiting different suppliers of different kinds, for, such as um, tooling manufacturers, manufacturers of um, oh, yeah. different types of... And...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: right, right. yeah, and you found that actually they are there. And yeah, they're not the same uh, quantity as China and maybe the yeah. same level of quality in, in some cases, but it's it's coming. So... India is definitely somewhere that we can speak to you about as well, if you're interested in India.
1: True. Yes, absolutely.
0: Cool. Okay, great. Renault, great episode. Always interesting to talk about, you know, the current affairs kind of, type of uh, topics and how that's affecting manufacturing in China and elsewhere around Asia. So, yeah, any questions uh, from the listeners, you know how to contact us. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week.
1: Yeah, sounds great. All right, thanks.
0: Thanks again for listening to this podcast, brought to you by the Sofeast Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at that's sofeast.com. That's s o f e a s to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.